0: Welcome to Calvary Church, where we are dedicated to loving God and loving people. If you want to know more about us, please check us out online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message. Good morning, Calvary Church. I am so glad to be a guest speaker for you this morning. Pastor Steve and Susan, I know you're not there today, or at least I don't think you are. Um, But if you're online, I just wanna say I love you guys, I appreciate you guys. If I remember correctly, I think you guys are on vacation maybe. I don't know if that's right now or coming up. You said you're going back to Vegas because last year's vacation, you lost so much money and took out that second mortgage of your home. But I am praying this year a scripture over you. Though a righteous man falls seven times into chapter 13, bankruptcy, he shall rise again. I'm believing this year big things there at the blackjack table for you and Susan. And church, by the way, I'm kidding. I have no idea if your pastor goes to Vegas or not. Um, When he tells you he's going on mission trips, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Again, I'm joking. I'm sorry. What's wrong with me? I want to get serious now. Calvary, I got something for you that you're going to get on a Sunday morning you rarely ever seldom get. What is it, you ask? A good sermon. That's what it is. (laughs) It's time to get serious. I've got to stop. Let's talk about humility. After that good sermon comment, great topic to talk about humility. Of course, I'm just trying to be funny. I don't really believe it. Pastor Steve is a better preacher than me when he dreams at night. First Peter, chapter five, verse five. No more jokes. Let's get in the word of God. I hope it's okay to joke around like this in Canada. I think it is. Uh, I like Canada. Where you live is beautiful. Wanna live there. Thinking about leaving America and coming to you guys. Maybe Pastor Steve will hire me. Got to stop. Let's get into it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. One verse. That's our whole scripture for the day. We're going to break it down into four points. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Lord, thank you for making me a better speaker than I am. Thank you, Lord, that I know that I have to depend on you. And all jokes aside, now as we move into the Word of God, Lord, I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I need you to help me take this Scripture. And Lord, as the Word of God is spoken to all of, all of my family in Christ there in Canada, I pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, would just take pieces and highlight what you want to say to each individual person, and that every one of us today, God, every one of us, would walk away with just one thing, one thing, that we need to take into our hearts and that we need to apply to our life. That's my prayer today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. What does it mean to be humble? It means four things, at least four things. And here's the four things I take from this passage. Number one, it means to be teachable. Because he said this, he said, you younger, submit yourself to your elder. Now, I'm from the south, a place called Tennessee, probably picked up, I'm from southern U.S. by my accent. And we grow up learning manners, stuff like, you know, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, call people by their last name, Mr. and Mrs., and respect your elders. And uh, that's just how I grew up. So when I read this passage, at first glance, that's what I see. Like, you know, be respectful to your elders. But if you read this verse in context, that means you got to read all the verses around it. This chapter starts out with Peter saying, I write unto the elders who I also awesome, am a fellow elder, And then he moves into things like don't be dishonest and shepherd. And he tells them how to treat these people. Peter's not saying, I write unto all the old people for I also am an old man. It's not what he's saying. Not elder in terms of age. He's saying, I write unto the church leaders for I also am a leader in the church. And so, what the Bible's saying here is, we need to be submissive to the leaders that God's put in our life. And what does that mean? That means this be teachable. Be teachable to the leaders. That God's put in your life be teachable let Him teach you something and I'm not just talking about the preacher on Sunday morning there are other people in the church even around us that may not attend our church but the church capital C like they may not attend Calvary but but they're in the church capital C and God's put them in our lives for us to learn from them but in order to learn you've got to be teachable I was around this guy some time back I won't call any names but I'm around this guy. I like this guy. This guy is extremely educated. He has went to school for about any degree you could possibly get. And I mean, the, if you wrote out his name and then put all of the education that he had, it just keep going on and on and on. But one day when I'm talking to him, I realize something. He's an idiot. I'm not joking. I thought, He's an idiot. He's saying something that he knows nothing about. It doesn't even make sense. And I lit, it, was, it was in the area of recovery. Um, we have alcohol and drug rehab centers. I'm not just a pastor for years, but we've got 47 alcohol and drug rehab centers in 13 different states here in the U.S. And we've got some in the U.K. and some strategic, strategic partners in other parts of the world. And so I was a drug addict. I've been running rehab centers now for a number of years, and I'm always reading books and trying to learn more about recovery, especially recovery in Christ, not just evidence-based recovery. This guy never read a book on recovery, never been an addict. All of his degrees are in other things, but he does not have a degree in anything to do with addiction. And yet, as I'm talking to him, I realize he thinks he's an expert. And I'm around a group of people that have done things in the recovery world, and I brought this guy with me, that when I look at them, I just listen. Because it really doesn't matter how many centers I have, I already know, they know more than, they forgot more than I've ever known. Maybe we'll ever know. And yet I'm sitting here learning and taking notes and he's disagreeing, publicly disagreeing with these people, arguing. And, and I looked over at him and there's this point where I realized, you're an idiot. You're not just an idiot, you're an educated idiot. Come on now, don't judge me. Have you ever met an educated idiot? Have you ever met a smart fool? You ever met anybody like that? You're like, that's a smart dummy right there. Of course you have, of course you have. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, um, 15, fools think they know what is best, but a sensible person listens to advice. Did you know one out of three people today are idiots? Matter of fact, look to your left if you would. No, they're not an idiot. Look to your right, look to your right. Everybody look to your right. They're not an idiot. Well, one out of three, point to yourself right now. Because the thing about it is this, most people that can be idiotic at times, most people that can be ignorant, and I'm not really saying they're an idiot because they're not intelligent. I'm saying when we're not teachable, we don't realize it, but we look like idiots. You know, I heard a while back, there's three spheres to our life. There's our our, um, private, and there's our public, and there's our peer. And in your private areas of your life, right? It's like, you know, God knows, nobody else knows. In your public, you know, God knows, everybody else knows. But in your peer life, in that sphere of your life, God knows, everybody knows, you don't know. And you go, Josh, that didn't make any sense to me. Obadiah one three, the pride of your heart has deceived you. When you study the words of pride in Hebrew and then in Greek, and you do a deep dive on this word, You'll find one of these words to mean to be blinded. Oftentimes, prideful people are blind people. They're blinded to the fact that they could come off like a know-it-all. And you go, well, how do I know if I'm not teachable? How do I know if I have pride in my heart? Here's why I told you about um, private-public-peer. Because it's a blind spot. Most of the time when you're prideful in any area, or maybe in all areas, it's a blind spot. Find some people who love you. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Find a friend who loves you enough to hit you with the truth. They'll wound you to heal you. And you want to find that person and ask them, am I teachable? Ask yourself this question right now. Who is it that I have in my life that I submit to? Who is it in my life that when I go to about the subject of marriage? Because for me, it's not one person. We've got a couple that me and my wife look to an area of marriage and And we submit to them. We submit to their leadership, to their mentorship in our life. I've got another guy that I look to as my pastor. I've got somebody that we look to in the area of finances, a Christ follower that is a really good steward and been really smart with his investing and, and just really his giving and generosity. I submit to him in those areas. Who do you have you're submitting to? And who do you have you can go ask, hey, am I humble? And if not, let's have a conversation about it, okay? So be teachable. Number two be a servant, be a servant. He said, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. In the Bible, it's it's agreed on by most commentators that when the apostle Paul is writing one of his prison epistles, he's in prison, writing the book of Ephesians, and when he talks about in chapter six, the armor of God, and he's talking about the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, Most every commentary, at least every commentary that I've ever read, they'll all kind of make a point or agree that he's looking at a Roman soldier because we know from his prison epistles that there was the palace guard right there while he was on house arrest and they were being changed out. And every so many hours, a new guard would come in and relieve the other guard. And these guards, they were soldiers and they were dressed in the armor. And so when Paul's writing about the armor of God, he's literally looking at A Roman soldier's breastplate and inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's going, and we've got a breastplate of righteousness. We've got a helmet of salvation. We've got a sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I think the same way Paul was doing that, I think Peter's doing a similar thing right now when he says, be clothed with humility. I, I I don't think that Peter is looking at something in the present, but I think he's remembering something from the past. And you go, why do you think that, Josh? Because of the Greek word clothed. That Greek word, cloth, literally means um, towel, apron, cloth. It was literally to take up a towel, but not any towel, not any cloth. It was that of a servant's. And you go, where are you going with this? Come on. There's a picture of what I'm about to tell you. Um, This picture is all over the world. You know, It's the picture where the disciples and Jesus are there at the Last Supper. and they're they're about to do communion. Well, in that same room, Jesus would pick up a towel. He would literally, what that would mean is he would pick it up, he would clothe himself with that servant's towel. And there's no way, in my mind, there's no way, and I think probably in your mind too, that Peter could write about being clothed with humility and not go back to that upper room, not go back to that special room where he witnessed Jesus clothe himself with humility. Let's read about it. John chapter 13, verse two, and supper being ended, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Can I just point out, and I read this verse to say, there's an enemy there. There's a betrayer there. There's somebody that's gonna turn in Jesus for silver, for money. And verse four said, speaking of Jesus, that he rose from supper and laid aside the garments, here it is, took a towel. That's what that word cloth means back in 1 Peter 5. He clothed, he took a towel and girded himself. And that he poured water into basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with a towel which with he was girded. Listen, it's so easy in life to wanna to walk around with a clipboard and want to you know judge people and evaluate people. And they got, but it's another thing to put down the clipboard and pick up the towel and to walk around with a towel, to live your life that every day you get up, you clothe yourself with humility. Every day you get up, you put on humility you clothe yourself with the servant's towel, ready to wash anybody's feet, even the feet of your enemy. You go, Josh, in a practical application, what does this look like? This looks like forgiving your worst enemy, and not just forgiving them, but doing something good for them. This, I, I had a guy that had really been just horrible to me and to our church, and there was a lawsuit, or a threatened lawsuit, it never happened, but put things all over the little town I was from. This is like the first year I'm a pastor of a church and just did tons of bad toward a 22-year-old preacher. I look back at that and go, wow. But during that time, i would really struggling not to be offended. And I remember one day at at a restaurant, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, forgive him. And right there, I'm just in a restaurant, and tears are streaming down my face, and I'm praying, saying, God, help me. And in that prayer, I said, Lord, I forgive him. I release it. I don't care what's been said. And you go, Josh, what'd you do? Um, I pastored a church, and he didn't think I should be there. That's it. I said yes to the call of God and he thought that was a bad idea and he was mad at the church and mad at me and it was his craziness, you know, And but man, the damage he did, the things he did. I used to be a drug addict by the way and I had gotten saved and I hadn't done drugs now in a number of years but he had a lot to say about my past and, and some of the things he said about my past were true but what he didn't get right was that I was a new creature in Christ Jesus. I wasn't the man that I used to be and I remember at the restaurant feeling so good, like I forgave him. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, now pay for his meal. See, forgiving him is one thing. Paying for his meal, that was another. I made $300 a week. It was a little bitty country church. I left a job making $900 a week. Plus, I got incentive performance pay every quarter. I didn't even know how I was going to pay my electric bill that month. Me and my wife were obeying God, but we were broke. We were so poor we couldn't pay attention. You heard that one? And the Lord wanted me to buy his meal. And the funny thing is him and his wife ordered the most expensive thing on the menu. I was watching what they were eating. He was eating a big old steak. She was too. And I thought, well, I couldn't they have ordered cheese sticks? But the Lord dealt my heart pay for his thing. That's what it means to be clothed with humility. It's not just saying, I, I forgive you. It's saying you know what if God gave me an opportunity I'd even serve you I'm not talking about being a doormat I'm not talking about putting yourself in a position for abuse but I am talking about being a servant and not just serving people who serve you but serve people you don't even know serve people you do know but you don't really care for and you go Josh what opportunities are there in life to do that you start praying that prayer you start praying like this every morning get up and say Lord Help me to submit one to another and let me be clothed in humility. God will show you opportunities. God will show you some opportunities for modern day foot washing, but it does not have to be a cloth in their feet. But there are ways to show humility, to live a humble life. Clothe yourself with humility. Be teachable, right? Be a servant. And then here's the third thing, be on the right side. He said, God resists the proud. And you go, what, what does that mean, God resists the proud? I told you about my past earlier, and then I get saved, and later I become a pastor of this little bitty, small country church. and um, But during that time, after I got saved, we would sing a song in the church, and and it went something like, the battle belongs to the Lord, and we sing glory and honor. Some of you remember that song. And I would weep, I'd cry because even though I was saved, I was still tempted with addiction. I still felt like, man, all these other people have got it together, I'm a mess. You know, church, you can be saved but not be free. And I was saved, but I wasn't 100% free yet. And I was still working on some things, as the Bible says, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that song would touch me every time we'd sing it, and I'd just weep because I would get this mental picture of God going before me and fighting my battles for me. And I would just break because I knew Unless that happens, I'm doomed. I can't overcome addiction by myself. I I couldn't overcome lust by myself. I was a young man, and I lived a promiscuous lifestyle. I needed the Lord to go before me and fight my battles. I needed to get behind Him and walk in the Spirit and walk behind Him as He's fighting for me. And it was just this picture I'd get in my mind. I want to give you another picture today. And the picture is, is the God who is going before you, and He's fighting for you is the same God that when you choose to let pride enter your heart and you lift yourself up and you become prideful, He's no longer going before you, but that same God turns against you. The Bible resists, the word uh, in the Bible for resist means to arrange oneself against in battle. You go, Josh, what do you mean? I mean the God that is going for me when I get prideful, that same God turns around and now He's working against me. He's working against me. And such a revelation when I got this verse one day. That's why the Bible says things like, you know, that, that God gives grace to be resist the proud, or he who humbles himself shall be exalted, but what? He who exalts himself shall be what? Humbled. Read the book of Proverbs and read all the stuff God says about the proud. God does not like pride. Pride takes credit for stuff that we should give glory to God for. I don't care what it is you've done. You couldn't do it if you didn't have breath. You couldn't do it if you weren't alive. God gave you life. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Pride is just ugly to God. He doesn't like it. And you go, yeah, but God would fight against me? I remember it was Thomas Jefferson, you know, or Thomas Jefferson. He's a big figure in American history anyway. I know you guys have heard of him. Most countries, by the way, they learn other people's history. America is the only place, I think, as I've traveled, we don't do that. And I don't want to knock Americans. I'm just saying we can be kind of prideful. Come on. I I don't know if my American friends in this room like that, but we can be. As a country, we better be careful because we can be arrogant. We can be prideful. And there was an American by the name of Thomas Jefferson. And one time they said, who was your favorite ruler that ever lived? Uh, your your favorite person in a position of authority, and he said, King Cyrus. Now, Jefferson, by the way, never professed to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, he claimed he was an atheist. But he said his favorite king was Cyrus. Now, I don't know if Jefferson knew this or not, but Cyrus is not just a a, a figure from history, but he's also in the Word of God. He's in Ezra, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Cyrus is famous in the Bible. He, he freed Jewish captives of Babylonia, and I'm not going to nerd out on you here, but he allowed them to go back and told Zerubbabel, you can go and you can rebuild the temple, and I'll even help fund it. I'll give resources. Now let me tell you something about Cyrus real quick. What's this got to do with God resisting the proud? Hold on a minute, I'm going to tell you, okay? Because so we got we to be humble, we got to be teachable, right? We got to be a servant, we got to be on the right side. Cyrus had a phrase, only conquer when the threat of being conquered is at hand. Only conquer when the threat of being conquered is at Cyrus didn't wanna go and conquer people, but if people were a threat to his people, he would go and fight against that people. If people were gonna rise up against him, then he would immediately go and they would attack, and his army was huge, and there was not another army on planet Earth like his army in his day. And when Cyrus would go in, unlike a lot of armies, and people throughout history that were conquerors, they would kill men, kill women, kill children. Cyrus would go in and yeah, they would kill, but only to the point where the other army would surrender. The minute they surrendered, Cyrus would call a seize halt. They would stop. And Cyrus began to send people in and they began to bandage wounds and feed the hungry and care for everybody that had been hurt or was in need. And then he would find the leaders that were still alive And he would set those leaders back in positions of leadership and say, you can lead your people. You can be your own people. You can keep your culture. You can have freedom of whatever your religion is, but you have to swear to submit to my authority. And as long as you say, submit it to my authority, I'll let you rebuild your country. I'll let you rule your country. I'll let your people experience freedom as long as you're surrendered under me. And that was unheard of in the day. That was not heard of, and very seldomly was it heard of throughout history. God, God's not like Hitler. Hitler does not represent God in any way. Stalin does not represent God in any way. Cyrus, yeah, some. Because because God's fighting for you, but the minute through pride you exalt yourself, the minute you get prideful, God does arrange himself against you, but only until you surrender. And, and the minute, the minute you surrender, God is there to heal. God is there to forgive. God is there to lift up. God is there to say, I want you to have freedom as long as you're surrendered to me. Because God loves you. I've got teenagers now. And there's times that I'll discipline my teenagers. Like the other day, I told one, you cannot go out with that girl again. You are grounded from hanging out with that young lady. That's what I had to tell one of my daughters. And... For a minute, I'm the worst dad in the world. I'm taking all her freedom away, and why am I working against her? About six months later, she came to me one day, and we're driving down the road, actually, and she looks at me, and she says, Dad, thank you. And I said, why? And she said, I was getting away from God. Dad, I was going down a bad path. Thank you, Dad, because if you wouldn't have done that, I don't know where I'd be today, but I feel close to Jesus now, Dad. I was depressed and now I'm happy, and Dad, I just want to say thank you. I was so mad at you, but now I realize you did it for me. God resists the proud, but He does it because He loves you. What does it mean to be humble? It means to be teachable. It means to be a servant. It means that God will resist you, therefore it means to be on the right side. And lastly, here's what it means. It means to receive extra grace. And you go, what do you mean? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And you said, yeah, but you said extra grace. James 4.4. 4. But he gives more grace. Did you hear that, church? More grace. There's more grace. There's the grace that you received at salvation, but there is more grace that is stored up for you. What is grace? Grace is God's divine favor, but God grace is also God's enabling power. Grace is that thing that can do for you in 10 minutes what you can't do for yourself in 10 years. Grace is that thing that makes you look better than you really are, that, that makes you have abilities you don't really have in yourself. Grace causes God and others to favor you. Grace is what puts you in positions you couldn't get yourself in. It's all grace, and there's more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who does God give favor? Who does God give his enabling power to? The humble. And there's more in store as we humble ourselves. That's why the Bible says, humble yourself and you shall be exalted. Sometimes that doesn't fit in our world today. I don't care what country we're in. Sometimes we feel like if we're going to be promoted, we got to brag on ourselves. If we're going to be seen, we got to be loud, and we got to let everybody know what we've done and our achievements or how hard we're working. Sometimes we feel like if we're going to get the attention we deserve, people are going to have to know what we're doing. And so we don't mean to be braggadocious. That's just the Greek word for bragging, but it makes me sound good. Now that I think about it, that's not so humble, is it? (laughs) See, it's trying to catch me while I'm preaching to you. Pride's always trying to work its way into our life. The Bible says this in Psalm 75, six and seven, promotion doesn't come from the east, west, south and north, nor a man, but from the Lord who raises up one, but sets down another. God will raise up the humble, but God will set down the prideful. Thanks so much for letting me speak into your life today. I wanna pray with you guys before I wrap this sermon up. If everybody would just close your eyes right now and bow your head, if that's okay, I just want you to be without distraction and some ushers are gonna come by and see if they can pickpocket you while your eyes are closed, okay? Not really, but just close your eyes, bow your heads, and let me pray with you. Um, Lord, maybe there's somebody in here today and they'd say, hey, there's an area in my life that God has shown pride or there's an example or maybe an action point that God's given me today to deal with pride in my life. And I just pray, God, they would follow through. I pray we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. And God, I can't ever preach a sermon without doing this real quick. Maybe there's somebody in here today, and we're all right now just in a place without distraction. We've just got bowed heads and closed eyes, and we're just going, Lord, I'm not looking or listening to anybody else. Good, because I want to say something to this person. If you're in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're in here today and you need a fresh start, a clean slate, a do-over, you need forgiveness, you, you realize you're guilty of sin, and you need Christ to forgive you. If you want to go to heaven and spend all of eternity with Him, I've got good news. Christ died for your sins, and He loves you, and He's for you. And the greatest demonstration of humility is when we surrender our lives to Him. When we say something like this, and if today you want a fresh start, why don't you say it with me? Repeat the words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. I believe you died and rose again on the third day. I confess you as Lord of my life. Come into my heart. Save me. Guys, I love you. Thank you for letting me be with you today. Hope it was a blessing. And uh, Pastor Steve and Susan, as soon as you get back from Vegas, holler. I want to hear how this trip went. God bless.